0: Good morning. Uh, welcome to the online uh, worship resources of Church of the Apostles. We're so glad uh, that we can meet in this way. Uh, as those that are not able to to be meeting with us in person as we're meeting on Sunday mornings outside right now, um, we're so glad that we can connect in this way and spend time in God's Word together. And so before we do, uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6 this morning. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll jump in and continue in our study together of, of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And so let's pray. God, we thank you. For the opportunity to be together, uh, even if it's distance, even if it's in these ways right now, uh, we pray that you would lead and guide us in all truth. That you would remind us of the glory of who you are and, and what you've done for us. I pray as we think today about what it means uh, to be a new creation in this newness of life that comes by faith uh, through grace and what Christ has done for us. And now the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and what this means. I pray that you would help us to see afresh the glory of who we are in you and what that means for us. We pray that you would lead us and guide us. We confess we can't do any of this without you. We pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we spend time uh, in Romans uh, together this morning, uh, we're going to, I want us to think about just some of the, maybe the routines that you have in your life. And, and when I say routines, what I mean is uh, things that maybe you do in your life that you do almost on autopilot. You don't have to give a whole lot of thought to uh you just they're ingrained habits for example you may get up in the morning and have a routine of certain things that you do and like you you brush your teeth and you may be brushing your teeth and thinking about the things that are going to happen throughout the day and you're not actually thinking about that particular uh act of doing that you're so used to doing it it's so ingrained it's so part of who you are that you have to give it very little thought uh, in fact, as we, as we learn to drive and we begin to drive a vehicle, often that's the case. There's so many things that we're doing, uh, maybe a turn signal or the way we're driving and the way we're looking, we don't have to have all of our attention there because it's so ingrained. It's so part of who we are. We've done it so many times. Uh, I noticed this week, uh, one of my habits right now or one of the things that I'm doing that's just part of my regular routine is I'm taking my son to school on certain days. And uh, Thursday, I went to take him to school, and it turned out he had a, a orthodontist appointment, and he was going with his mom. And I wasn't taking him, but I got in the car, I started along my way, I started to even drive the same route that I would normally drive before I realized, oh, I don't have to go here. It was so, it's so ingrained, it's so part of what I do, that I don't even think about it at different times. And so maybe you can think of things like that in your life. Um, and so we all have those things and it's not just mundane little things that we do over and over, but the truth is we do this in the way that we think and the way we react, emotions, feelings, the way that we deal with stuff coming at us, how we're stressed and how we, uh, we handle that. I remember reading an article uh, a couple years ago, that younger generation handles stress and difficulty, often through entertainment, through seeking things to kind of distract them. Older generation, oftentimes through food and friends. And so we, we go to certain different uh, kind of well-worn grooves in our life. When things come at us, this is what I do and the way I operate. And so we all have that. We all have different things in our life that are just part of the way that we operate. And the truth is, if if we're honest with ourselves and with one another, there's probably some things that we do that are not the best habits, that are well ingrained, but there may be some bad habits or some bad cycles and some things that we go back to, uh, and maybe it's through stress or, or just whatever it is, the things that are coming at us and we go back to different things that maybe we would like to stop or change. Uh, but the truth is that can be very difficult because we've so ingrained and we're so used to doing things a certain way, it can be very difficult to make changes. In fact, I say that oftentimes uh, is why dieting is so hard or changing your diet is so hard for so many people because there's so many things that are ingrained in the way that we operate. And so as we go back to Romans this morning, I want us to think about this idea of, in uh, uh, the scope of what Paul has said in this book, that we've we've come to faith, that if you've come to faith in Jesus, that... You're been saved by what Christ has done for you. It's not anything that you can do in and of yourself. I mean, really, if we were to summarize the first five chapters of Romans that we've looked at, that it's all about what God has done for us in Jesus. Uh, it's a gift that is received through what Christ has done rather than what we do. It's, it's all about what he is doing for us and and who we now are in him. And so as that happens, uh, we, we wrestle with how do we then live into the reality of who we now are in Jesus. And so we could think of it as, as justification. Uh, justification is we are now set right with God because of what Jesus has done. God sees us exactly as Jesus is because his work gets applied to us by grace through faith. We are made right with God through what Christ has done. And we've spent a lot of time talking about that. And then the other side is is sanctification. How do we grow up into the reality of who we now are in Christ? And so oftentimes we we kind of separate those out, and justification is is Jesus' work and what he's done, and then wrongly we believe that sanctification is now my part and what I do, and now I have to make this the reality of my life. But the truth is both are by grace through faith and what Christ has done, trusting him more and more, transferring our trust from ourself, to him we talked about saving faith earlier in Romans looking like that and so here we get to Romans chapter 6 and Paul's just going to ask this question how do we live now that we have been justified and we are in Christ and what does it look like and he asked this question what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it he says No, no no why would we go back to this old way of thinking and living when we're a new creation why would we ever go back to that Why would we go back to an inferior way of living that's these old habits? And why would we go back to that when we are now this new creation in Jesus? And I think part of the answer is that it's not always easy. Yes, we are a new creation. Yes, the Holy Spirit now dwells in and with us. God sees us as he sees Jesus. We are now loved and accepted completely and totally by God because of what Christ has done for us. Yet we have these old habits. We have these old, well-worn patterns that are difficult for us to no longer live in. And so I want us to think about uh, how we grow in that together as believers. And so the same is true whether you're a new believer or you've been following Jesus for many, many years. Uh, as a new believer, maybe you come to faith and suddenly you see great growth and change in your life. And you see those things and you start to take up new patterns. And you start to see how God's changing you in that But then also as someone who's maybe been following Jesus for many years, you can easily see those growth times in your life, but you can also see where maybe you've struggled or you've you've plateaued or you've kind of stalled out and you're not seeing the growth that you once saw. And so I want us just to think about how do we continue to grow? How do we not go back to those old patterns or the old self, but continue to live up into the fullness of who we are in Jesus? And so that's what we're going to think about this morning. And so this is the way I want us to look at Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at those Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. And we're going to make it down to about, oh, about verse 17 or 18 this morning. But as we do, I want us to consider first the new reality of who we are in Jesus. What does it mean? What is our identity now in Christ? Secondly... Why is it so hard to live in the fullness of that? If this is the new reality and who we are and what God has done for us, why is it so hard to live up into that? And by shining a light on kind of how we're missing that, hopefully we'll see that more clearly. And then the last part is some practical steps to grow in that reality. And so let's just start with this new reality of who we are in Christ and what that means for us. And so look at the beginning of Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died to sin, for we, I'm sorry, verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. And so Paul says real clearly, we are a new creation. We are no longer living in the ways in which we once lived that we have been with Jesus, our old self has been crucified and we've been raised with him and we are called to walk in this newness of life. And it's a new way of seeing things. And it's all through what Christ has done for us, because we are very literally gone from, if we were to borrow the language from Ephesians 2, from spiritual death to spiritual life that we are a new creation, that we see things as they now are in Christ. And so uh, I want to connect back for just a second to where we were last week, because it helps that Paul, obviously, uh, we added chapters and verses, and this is all part of his argument, but at the end of chapter 5, he was talking about how all of us are born into sin, the universality of sinfulness through our first ancestor, through Adam, and it spreads to all men. But then just as as sin entered through one man, through the one man, Jesus comes and begins to undo the work of Adam. And that's where we ended last week. And he talks about how where sin is, grace abounded all the more, right? Like this is chapter 5 and verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he says where the sin was, grace was greater. What Adam had done, Jesus has done far more. Adam is is like, uh, or Jesus is like Adam in the sense of the universal works, or, or universal effects of his work, but Jesus is far greater. But then he gets here and he's kind of saying, so should we go back to living in that old way now that we're a new creation? He says, no way, by no means. And so I want you just to think about this image of of we're now from death to life that we can now see in a way we hadn't seen before it it made me think back uh, to being a kid not being able to see at all and I remember probably around third or fourth grade my mom realizing that I couldn't see I couldn't see anything she would we'd be driving down the road and she'd say can you read that sign and it would be like what sign I couldn't I couldn't see anything at all and I remember going uh to the eye doctor and having uh, the first time you have your eye test and the eye chart and, you know, being able to see like the giant E at the bottom and nothing else and and going through all the tests and whatever. And they go, well, you obviously need glasses. And they make them for you and they give them to you. And I remember going and the first day you get your glasses and they take them and they, they put them on your face. And as you put them on and you open your eyes and you look around and suddenly you can see all sorts of things you couldn't see. You walk outside and you see the trees and instead of just a big blob, I could now see the individual leaves on the trees. And I I could read every sign. And you wanted to read everything. And suddenly you could see all these things in a new way that you hadn't been able to see them before. And it was this incredible thing that happens as you go through that. And part of what Paul is saying is that's kind of what has happened to us, is that we are now in Jesus, a new creation, that we have died uh like if you look at verse 3, do you not know that all of us that have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, and we were buried therefore with him by baptism in his death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. And we've been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And we know our old self was crucified in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And it's like we, we can now see. We can see in a way that we ha- hadn't seen before. Uh, I had a friend years ago wrote a song about um, uh, thinking about uh, what it will be like when we stand with Jesus in the fullness of everything as he regenerates all things one day when we stand before him. And, and the name of the song was The Colors That We Can't See. I had a dream that I could see colors that we can't see or haven't seen and and being able to see in a new way in a fullness. And so that's part of what happens. That's the new reality of what we have in Jesus. We can now see in a way that we couldn't see before. And so we've talked about saving faith being a transfer of trust from ourselves to Jesus and what he's done. And when we transfer that trust, it's almost like we've been plugged back into the power source, the very source of, of all love and logic and power in the universe. We are now united with him and connected with him. And so the glass is knowledge he just scratches the surface because what scripture really tells us is we've gone from death to life and we are now united with the very creator of the world. I mean, he, he says this in verse 5, if you have been united with him, talking about Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Or if you skip down to verse 11, so also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in jesus christ and so we now have this new reality of who we are and if this is the truth of who we are why is it so hard though to live in the fullness of that and so that's the second thing i want us to consider how do we uh why is it so difficult and so if you go and you look at verse 11 12 and 13 he says you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to god in christ jesus right and then verse 12, "...let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness." And so, simply put, old habits die hard. We, we are born into sin. We're born into believing this lie that we're the center of the world and it's all about us. And we worship the creation over the creator. Paul says this in chapter one of Romans. We spent a bunch of time talking about the ways we struggle and the ways that we uh, fall into sin all around us. And he says, apart from Christ, you're presenting your members, your body, your, your thinking, the way you operate to sin. Sin is ignoring God, rebelling against God and the world he created. And that's what you've known. And when we become... A believer, we become spiritually alive, we're no longer dead, there's, there's, there's this newness of life that we're living up into, but we still have these well-worn patterns that we go back into. Our old way of thinking, our old way of operating is so ingrained in us that it's easy to slip back into that, even as a new creation, and even as the Holy Spirit is in us. We have these things that are ingrained, and he tells us here in, in verse 11 when he says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin. And then he says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And so when you have those well-worn grooves that you go back to, it's easy to slip back into these old passions, these old ways of thinking. I was thinking about this this week, and it made me, made me think about uh, my dog that I used to have. Uh, I had a dog uh, named Wilma that I got when I was in college. Uh, Wilma was my dog. Uh, she lived to be 16 years old. I got Wilma, uh, I want to say I was a, about a junior in college. In fact, Joanna, uh, who is now my wife, and I were dating at the time, and uh, she got me Wilma as a birthday present. We had gone to the pound and looked at dogs together one day and uh, had seen this dog that I wanted. She was the runt of her litter Uh, what I knew about Wilma and her brothers and sisters that were there, uh, this litter was that they had been abandoned, uh, in a box behind the dumpster at the local McDonald's one night and the humane society found them there. And so I went and I ended up, uh, adopting Wilma at about eight weeks old. And I took this dog home and she slept in my room next to my bed for 16 years uh, I fed her twice a day, spent time with her, well-loved, uh, a very good life for a dog. And uh, we loved Wilma very much, and she was part of our family. And so to have this dog for 16 years that you took care of, that was well cared for, well-loved, well-fed, everything. But her entire life, Wilma always struggled with, one, her food, eating, and two, being left and, and what I mean by that is if I were to leave her, even with somebody else, if I was gone for over 24 hours, she would stop eating and she would kind of freak out. And so even though this dog was well-loved and well-cared for, whenever it came time to eat, she would get on top of her bowl, put her front paws around it and get over top of it. And if anyone came near her, she would growl at you. It was like this was her last meal and she hadn't eaten in a really long time. And I always wondered about uh, my dog, Wilma, that it was like, uh, why did she freak out so much about food, even though she was fed every day, morning and evening? And why did she freak out so much about when I left, when I was always there with her? And the only thing I could ever figure with that dog is that those first few weeks of her life being abandoned in the way that she was kind of brought into the world and what she experienced, she never could get past that. It always seemed like she was struggling with the, real- the old reality of who she was versus who she now was. And the truth is, we're often like my old dog, Wilma. We do the same thing. We go back to our old ways of thinking, our old ways of operating, instead of resting in that we are completely loved and accepted because of what God has done for us in Jesus, that God sees us and loves us fully and completely. We go back to our old ways of thinking. It's almost like God has taken and put the new glasses on us and we can see things clearly, but yet we keep taking them off and bumping around and feeling trying to feel our way around rather than putting them on and seeing clearly. And so we do that so often we go back to our old ways of thinking. And if you look at what Paul says here like in verse 12 he says let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. That word for passions really means over desires. And really what he's what he's aiming at it is, is when we let sin reign in our mortal body. Sin is ignoring God and His world, and the world that He created, or rebelling against God. And so when sin is reigning, we're worshiping the creation over the Creator, and we take the things of God's creation and we make them ultimate things. Over desires. That's really what that word passions means. We begin to worship the creation rather than the Creator. We, we seek something, uh, uh, we, we seek ultimate meaning and purpose in finite things, right? We, we try to fill the infinite with the finite. And when we do that, we are going to struggle mightily. It, it makes me think of the old saying of, of Blaise Pascal that said we all have a God-shaped hole in us. We're all trying to fill this infinite need for us in our life by finite things. And when we do that, what happens is we throw ourselves into things that are often good things, good gifts of God, but things that were never meant to replace God in our life, right? Like like your family and your children and your vocation and the hobbies and the things you do and the gifts that God's given you. Those are all good things to be enjoyed. But when you worship those things as ultimate things, they can never do for you what you hope that they will. And they become over-desires. And you let sin reign in your mortal body. You make it about the things of this earth, finite things, rather than the infinite creator God of the universe. And in doing so, you obey its passions, its over-desires, and it becomes just a constant battle, going back into those old, well-worn grooves that don't lead us to, to the growth and the change and the glory of what God has for us. And so it's why it's so difficult, why we go back to that over and over and why we struggle. And so I want us to consider here with what Paul says and we're going to end with this this morning is, well, what's the answer? How do we grow out of that? How do we continue to, to, to have those kind of breakthroughs as we're trusting God more fully and growing into the fullness of what He has for us and not going back into those old patterns? And so the first thing I would say to you, and I want you just to consider this for a moment, is, is, is what He's talking about here when He says, like in, in verse 5, we have been united with Him been united with christ in a resurrection like his and so the first thing i would say to you when we start to struggle with going back to those old ways of thinking is we need a bigger vision of who god is and what he has for us oftentimes we settle for far too little it it makes me i used to joke about this a lot of times but it makes me think of of a couple quotes from c.s lewis uh when i first started i've done it less and less i guess through the years but when i first started preaching one of the things i used to say is like i could build every sermon around a couple cs lewis quotes you know they help e- explain these great big ideas cuz lewis was so brilliant cs lewis was a a man who became christian later in his life but he became an incredible apologist and it makes me think when we think about having a bigger vision of who god is and what he has for us uh, a quote from lewis that says this he says It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. And and I love that uh, image that that Lewis kind of conjures up there. We need a bigger picture, a bigger vision of what God can and, and is going to do in and through us. Instead of our old sinful self dictating, instead of going back to those over passions for finite things and thinking in small ways, we need to think eternally. We need to have a bigger vision of what God's going to do, not just in this life, but in the next, in the fullness of what he's going to bring. And so instead of letting our old sinful habits dictate the way we operate, let the God of the universe. Who is our creator and our redeemer the one who loves us more fully and more uh, perfectly than we could ever imagine let him be the one that dictates what we're going to live for and the ways that we're going to live and the ways that we're going to do that the god who's going to regenerate the entire cosmos is now living in and with you infinite power is available and the truth is, what we often do is we go back to the the well-worn grooves, the things that are comfortable, the things that we're used to, the things that maybe give us just just a moment of joy or a, a, a moment of fun, but don't offer the infinite that God would have for us. And so what we do is we trade down. As, as Lewis says in that in that quote, we're like the child making mud pies in the slum because we can't, even envision what could possibly be at the holiday at sea and that's often what we do we trade down we settle uh for netflix we settle for staring at a screen we we settle uh for, for making the creator god of the world our assistant that's going to help make our lives marginally better When what's available to us is if if we would make him the Lord of our life, he has plans that would far exceed anything that we could ever imagine or dream of. And so I would say to you when we think about who we are, we go back to that reality, be reminded of the reality of our identity in Christ, and we need to have a bigger vision of who God is and what he's done for us and what he has for us. And so it, it reminds me, uh, of another C.S. Lewis story. I was actually reading uh, some commentary on this text uh, that Tim Keller had had written. And, and, and he had this quote uh, from C.S. Lewis. And so, giving credit where credit due. This is C.S. Lewis by way of Tim Keller. And so he he says this. He says, imagine yourself as a house. And God comes in and begins to rebuild it. And at first you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You know those jobs need doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts, and it does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The answer is he's throwing up a new wing here, and he's putting up an extra floor there, and he's running up towers, and he's making courtyards. And you thought you were going to be made into a decent little college cottage, but he is building a palace. And he's building in a palace because he intends to come and live in it himself. And if we let him, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power, delight, and goodness. The process will be long and in parts painful, but that is what we are in for and nothing less. And so I would say to you, we need to have a bigger vision of what God's going to do in and through us and the way He's going to use us and the way He's going to regenerate us from the inside out in the whole of His cosmos. And so that's the first thing. Stop thinking so small. But then the second thing is I would say that we need to be reminded daily of this reality. Whether you're a new believer, you've been following Jesus for a long time. We talk a lot here at CODA about the, the need uh, for deeper relationships being in community speaking the truth in love being fluent in the gospel reminding one another of what is now true of us in Jesus and so look at what he says here in verse 13 and following do not present your your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. So what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And again, he says, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, to which you were committed. he talks about that standard of teaching and and coming back to that and being reminded and submitting yourself in obedience to God in all these ways. And so the truth is, if we're going to continue to grow, continuing to grow in our trust, transferring our trust completely to Jesus in every way that we need to be reminded of this daily. And there's some very simple ways to do that. You spend time in God's Word. You open His Word and you meet Him there daily. You let His Word stand over you. You let Him shape your thoughts and the way that you, you think, and the way that you operate, the way that you go about your day. And so you spend time in His Word. You spend time in prayer talking to Him, conversing with Him. Set different timers throughout the day. Stop and, and spend time speaking with Him. You do so in community as we remind one another what is true about who we are in Jesus. You know, the Bible tells us over and over, don't neglect meeting together. In fact, the Hebrews talks about, don't neglect meeting together as the habit of some, but continue to do it all the more so as the day is approaching. And, it, and it's pointing us to, man, when things are difficult and when all the stuff that is swirling around us, we need one another more clearly. And, and I would just say, I've never seen that more clearly than as I see it right now in our time. We desperately need one another. We des- desperately need to be reminded each day of what is true of us in Jesus. And so have a bigger vision of what God can and is doing. Be reminded daily. But then the last part I would say, and as we do, and as we make those steps, and as we continue to remind one another, and we continue to kind of take off the limits, take God out of the box, letting him, God be God, and see the fullness of what he's doing, and we continue to remind one another, our vision grows and as it grows and as you see it more clearly, the what you see that God can do is growing along with it. And so those steps of obedience is like the ball that gets rolling down the hill. Maybe you've had this happen at different times. But if you've ever taken up like a, an exercise program, you start running. Uh, if you get up tomorrow and you haven't run in years and you start running, it's awful. It's hard at first. In fact, the first several weeks is really hard. But something incredible happens uh, right around week three. Your lungs and your your uh, your body starts to catch up and you start to understand what's happening and you start to feel the effects and suddenly it's not so hard and suddenly it gets better and suddenly you can run a little further and you can run a little faster and your breathing's better and you're starting to see it and the same is true when we start to transfer our trust more completely from ourselves to God, when we start to uh, quit worshiping uh, the creation rather than the creator, when we start to give up on those over-desires and we put them in their proper place and we start to follow God, it's like the ball gets rolling. And suddenly we start to realize that infinite joy is possible. And it's not found in ourselves or in the things of this world, but fixing our eyes on Jesus and who He is and what He's done. And we start to see... We start to give up the mud pies for the holiday at sea. We start to not go back to those well-worn grooves, but we start to see that there's something far greater available to us. And so I just encourage you, uh, as you see that, uh, journal, write those things down. Share with what uh, one another what God's doing as we see those, because God is faithful to do what He's called us to. And He says He's going to do it, and He's going to complete it. And so, when we struggle with those... Be reminded, bigger vision of what God can do. Be reminded daily with one another. But then as we see those things, it, it continues to build on it through what Christ has done. And so uh, I just pray that we would continue to grow in that, that we would see clearly who God is and what he's done for us. And uh, we thank him for his word and that he shows us that. And so let me pray for us and then uh, we'll be done. Uh, God, we thank you for the glory uh, of the truth of what you've done for us and what it means for us. Help us to see clearly. Uh, Give us a bigger vision of the glory of who you are and what you're doing. I pray that we would rest in you at each and every turn, that we would remind one another of what is true in you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.